Today's passage comes from Romans 7, verse 14 through 8, 4. If you'll read along with me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in Romans 7, as we just read this morning. just invite you to turn there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in the seat in front of you, and we'd love for you to be able to take that as a gift uh, if you don't own a copy of God's Word. And what a special day to gather together. Every time we get to come and be with our church family and praise our King is special, and it's unique, and it's a gift from us, but... We know that Easter week is a, a very special time for those of us who are Jesus followers because it's the day we celebrate uh, God coming back to life from the dead and raising us to life. Amen? It's just such a beautiful thing that we've gotten to sing about. And, and just good to see you this morning, church family. And again, if, if you're a guest here, we just uh, give you a welcome as well. And in case this is your first time with us, we want to invite you in to where we've been. We've actually... Uh, this isn't just an Easter text for us. We've been going through the book of Romans uh, throughout most of the year. And I, I don't know a better text to be in, to be going through during Easter week than the book of Romans. Just so much beauty of, of the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ. And we've been delving into the depths of that and are going to be continuing into that. And so if you don't have a church home, we'd welcome you into our pursuit of God together. And I'll just, again, to say from the outset, as we get into this passage this morning, there's, there's so much here that we can't unpack. Um, and so one of the ways that we're able to kind of work through more text than even what we do on Sunday morning is a thing called Behind the Message. And so every Wednesday night, we go kind of behind the message, behind the text, it's Q&A, and it's just a great way to interact in depth uh, behind some of the things that maybe we talk about or don't talk about, so we'd invite you to be a part of that this week. Uh, but I love uh, this passage because it's just, it's a beautiful picture of the weight that we feel, uh, and we're going to get into that, and also the beauty of the gospel. Praise to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now and forever will be. And as we get into this passage, uh, we see a tension happening in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's a tension that he's been developing throughout the book. So early in Romans 1 through 3, we're dealing with sin and the weight of our sin and the wrath of God and judgment and how can we be saved. And, and then in the chapter 4, what is justification by faith and what does it mean to live a life by faith? And Romans 5, God's grace and the gospel and just the beauty of what he's done. And Romans 6, wrestling through uh, the battle between sin and grace that, that we feel. And then to Romans 7, talking about the weight of the law and the tension of the power of the law and the curse of sin. And this is the tension that we're going to wrestle through in our time this morning. The power of the law over us and the curse of sin that is upon us. And the best way I know to illustrate it is to ask this question. How, how many of you have ever been in over your head in a life situation? Like anybody? Okay, a few of you. Uh, probably most of us are going to be completely honest. So I've had many in my life. Um, but, but one of the more recent ones a few months ago uh, came on a Sunday morning, and it was one of the few Sunday mornings where I uh, had to get the kids ready to go to church. So just kind of based on just what I do, I'm usually here before my wife, but that day she was going to serve, and I was going to make sure the Fantastic Four got to church on time, dressed, ready to go, that kind of thing. And I'll just pause and just say huge props to you moms who like do this week in, week out, especially on Easter Sunday. You guys should get a medal, a trophy today, or at least some Easter egg candy or something like that. So, man, so that day um, I was getting the kids ready, uh, breakfast went well, we got clothes on, Trips, our youngest, I'm getting him dressed, I'm thinking, okay, we're doing pretty good. And then I hear the sounds that no father wants to hear, and that's Dad, come in here quick. It's an emergency. I'm like, oh man, what, what's going on? And so um, I came in the room where my daughter was and I found this. I think we have a picture of it. Some of you have seen this picture before, maybe. There we go. So this is my daughter with an electronic car wrapped around her hair. Okay, so this is a battery-operated car that one of her brothers got a little too close to her head. And now her hair is all entwined inside the, the wheel of this car. And I'm just going to be honest, it wasn't my most spiritual moment. There was a lot of tense uh, action happening in the, in the house. And I was stuck really between two options, and neither of them were good options. Option A, do I bring my daughter to church with a car in her hair? <laughs> and work through that kind of thing. Option B, do I chop the, the car out of my daughter's hair and to bring her missing hair into church and deal with the wrath of my wife. So neither option was a really good option. I was between a rock and a hard place and attention. What do I do? And, and trying to figure all that out. Thankfully, option C presented itself. We were able to do surgery on the car and kind of bypass those other two options. The reason why I bring that up is when we get into this text of Romans 7, the Apostle Paul is presenting two massive tensions that are weighted upon your life and my life. One is the power of the law over us and the curse of sin that is upon us. The power of the law is God's righteous law, His righteous commandment that we are called to live by. But when you break the law, the Bible says that when you've broken one law, you've broken all of it. So we are condemned under the power of the law. On the other side of that, we have the curse of sin. And the Bible is very clear that sin is not just something that we do every now and again. Sin is the brokenness that is within all of us. 
And so we have the power of the law over us. We can't escape it. It's condemnation. We have the curse of sin working in us, death. We can't get rid of it. We can't avoid it. It's causing brokenness in us and around us. And so we get to verse 24 that was just read, and I just want to bring it out. And you can hear Paul's cry, and you can hear Paul's question. And when we feel the weight of the power of the law and the curse of sin, we also shout this question. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who can save me from the power of the law? Who can save me from the curse of sin? I can't save myself. You can feel the tension of that. But I'm here this morning, and the good news of Easter is that it doesn't end with that question. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That there is a way that we can be saved from the power of the law. There is a way that we can be saved from the curse of sin. But there's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our truth this morning that we're going to wrestle through in the time we have. Only Jesus can save us from the power of the law and the curse of sin. Only Jesus can save us from the power of the law and the curse of sin. And for us to really understand that, and like mentally you might get it if you've been around church or you've been around scripture, you kind of understand Jesus as Savior. But I want us to wrestle through what Paul wrestles through in this passage. What is the power of the law? Why is the law powerful? Why is sin a curse to us? And how can we be set free from those two things? And even as you read this passage, as as it was being read, I can't help but feel the weight of almost two-thirds of the way through this passage, you're saying, this is not a very happy text for Easter Sunday, right? But if we don't understand the bad news, the good news won't be good to us. If we don't understand the depth of our problem, the good news can't be sweet. And so we've, we've got to start where the Apostle Paul starts. So let's, let's ask and answer some of the questions that this text leads us to. And the first question is this. Why is the law powerful? Why does the law have power over you and me? Why, why is it a power in our lives? And I think verse 14 gets at the tension. The, if you're looking at your scripture, at the Bible in front of you. For we know that the law is spiritual. It's spiritual, which means it's from God. It's of God, who is spirit. It It is good. In fact, earlier in verse 12, Apostle Paul will say that the law is holy. It's righteous. It's good. Throughout this text, Paul says it's good. The law is good. The commandment, it's, it's good. The commandment, the law, the Mosaic law, the, the commands that God gave the children of Israel was meant for them and meant for us to be a, a standard, a measurement to help us understand God's righteousness, God's perfection, God's holiness, and what it means for us as a people to pursue being righteous before God. We spent some time wrestling through this last week, and you can go back and pull that message and the notes that are there if you want to dive more into that. But what you need to know is that the law is good. It was meant, verse 10, to give us life. But the second half of verse 14 paints the tension of the power of the law in our lives. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold under sin. So the law is spiritual, it's of God, it's, it's good, but we are flesh. 
And we have sin in us. And so instead of the law being the means by which we are made righteous before God, it becomes the thing that condemns us before God. Because every single person has broken the law. So why is the law powerful? Here's our first big idea and answer to that question. The law exposes the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior. See, the law exposes the depth of our sin, how bad our sin really is. And it also exposes our need for someone outside of us to come save us from our sinful condition. So let's talk about how it exposes the death of our sin for a minute. Look at verse 13. Paul explains this. He says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? It's a question. And he answers it. By no means! Exclamation mark. He's saying the law in and of itself does not lead to death. It does not bring death. It was meant to lead us to life. Let's keep going. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. Talking about the law. So sin is the issue. Sin takes advantage of the law. Sin manipulates our hearts against the law. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. Those are really important words. In order to be shown that sin might be shown to be sin. This is what he's saying. The law exposes how sinful we are. Because we see the standard of God's righteousness and then we see ourselves in comparison to that and we see how far, how far short we fall. And he gives an example of this. If you have your Bible open, you can look back up to verses 7 and 8. And he gives the example of covetousness. So if all the Ten Commandments, he doesn't choose one that's an action command. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery. Instead, he, he goes after one of the heart commands. And you see, one of our temptations is we look at the law and we look at trying to be moral and good and all those religious, all those things, and it's about doing. What can we do that's right? What can we avoid that's wrong? But what Paul shows us through covetousness is that really the issue of sin is not just about what we do or not do. The issue of sin is our heart. So he's saying that sin created covetousness inside of him when he saw the law. And how many of us have done the same thing? We've seen our neighbor's stuff, neighbor's success, neighbor's job, neighbor's relationship, and we want it. We desire it more than what God has given us. And it speaks to our heart and the depth of sin within us. I think one of the best examples of this uh, is a story I, I read this week about St. Augustine, who's one of the early church fathers. And he talks about, in, in his book, The Confessions, where he talks about his um, coming to Christ, he talks about this story about when he was uh, a teenager, and he and a bunch of his friends decided that they wanted to steal pears from a pear, pear tree in a yard not far from them. So they waited till late at night, and they all went into this person's yard, and they shook the tree, and all the pears fell out, and they carried off as many pears as they possibly could. Now, Augustine, he's talking about that, and it seems kind of like a silly thing, but, but this is what he says. He said, you know what? I had plenty of food at home. He said, I actually had better pears at home than the pears I ate on that tree that day. And I got more pears than I could possibly eat. We ended up throwing most of the pears to the pigs. He said, the thing I delighted in that night was not the taste of the pear, but in the taste of my desire to steal. 
And what he's getting at is that inside of us, sin runs deep. It's not just bad decisions we make. It's not just mistakes here and there. It's that we long to break God's law. We long to cut that person off in traffic that sped by us and cut us off. All right, let me get spiritual for a second. We long to see that coworker fail who we know has manipulated their way to the top. We long to see that person fall who's just always a little bit better than us. And it feels good when they do. How deep does sin run inside of us? Right? And so the law exposes that. It shows us the holy, righteous standard of God. And then it compares us against that and we fall so, so short. And so we are condemned by the law. But not only does the law expose the depth of our sin, but the law also exposes our need for a Savior. Look with me in verse 10. We'll start in verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Listen to this. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. So what what Paul is saying is that God gave us the commands. God gave us the law so that we might obey them and live. Obey them and flourish. Obey them and find life. But our sin has circumvented those laws and now it produces inside of us death. Translation. You and I can't save ourselves. We had the chance to obey the law and we didn't. There's no way in and of ourselves that we can fulfill the righteous standard of God's law. We have all broken that standard. We have all committed high treason against the king of the universe. That's what it's saying. We've all rejected the path of life and are now on the path of death because we have disobeyed this commandment. Which means, friends, you can't save yourself. You can never be good enough, you can never try hard enough, you can never obey the law enough, you can never be kind enough, you can never go to church enough, you can never give enough, you can never sacrifice enough to do away with your sin before a holy God. You cannot save yourself. And not only can you not save yourself, but a religious system cannot save you. One of the truths that we see from this passage in in the keeping of the law and our inability to do so is that we need a savior outside of us. It's the difference between all the world religions, Islam and Mormonism and Buddhism and, and Catholicism, we can go through all of them, is that every other single religion is not a different path to get to the same God. Every other religion is all about you do this and you don't do that and if you're good enough, then God will bless you. But the gospel says something completely different. You and I are utterly condemned in our sin because of the law. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We we can't earn God's pleasure because of the weight of our sin. And so we have the power of the law which is condemning us. It's holding us accountable for our sin and we cannot escape from it. And this is one of the tensions the Apostle Paul is saying we must overcome the power of the law. If we can't overcome the power of the law, we are condemned by the law. We are found wanting and lacking. 
But that's not the only tension. There's a second tension, and that second tension is the curse of sin. So let's wrestle with that one for a few minutes. Here's, here's the question. Why is sin a curse to us? Why is sin a curse to us? And our next big idea answers that question. Sin deceives, distorts, and ultimately it leads to death. See, what the Apostle Paul is saying, and if you're looking at your Bible, um, let's just start in verse 14 again. We'll go 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. Who's the culprit? It was sin. Sin is rejecting God's law. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. Sin is choosing to disobey God. So the issue is not ultimately with the law. We are condemned by law, but ultimately our issue is with our sin, the curse of sin that is upon you and me. And look at what he says about this. This is incredible. Since it was sin producing death in me, through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And listen to this. And through the commandment or the law might become sinful beyond measure. He's saying that our sin and our propensity to sin is far greater than you can possibly imagine. Sin lies to us. Sin deceives us. Sin distorts the truth. Sin leads us to death. Have you ever known someone who believed something very, very passionately that you knew was dead wrong? Anybody in this room? Um, yeah, I, I think most of us probably have. So when, when my son Jack was in kindergarten, he had a friend who promised him that for Christmas he was going to build him a ninja robot that would do all of his homework for him as a Christmas present. Kindergarten, it happens. But the crazy thing was, Katie and I would have these conversations with Jack, and like, Jack, we love you, and your friend, yeah, he loves you, he's just whatever, but that's not going to happen. But Jack was convinced that we were wrong, and that his friend was telling the truth. It didn't matter how much logic I used, how much we argued, how much we rationalized, he was convinced that there would be a ninja robot sitting behind, I guess behind the Christmas tree, because it'd be so big, right, to do his homework. And friends, this is what sin does to us. Sin lies to us. It deceives us. It tells us things like, if you had that person's approval, if you just had certain possessions, if you had success, if you had fame, if you had power, if you had sex, if you had companionship, if you just had a better education, if you had more opportunities, if you had these things, then you would be happy then your heart would be satisfied. Then your problems would go away. And it lies to us, deceives us into buying into the lie that there are other saviors out there other than God. Sin promises what it cannot keep. And even right now in this room, sin is telling lies to your heart and my heart about what we need to bring joy and happiness to us. But not only does the sin deceive us, but it enslaves us by distorting our desires, distorting our longings. Let's just keep reading. I want you to feel the struggle that the Apostle Paul is articulating here and see if this struggle resonates with you. Read, we'll start in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. Now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it's good. 
So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Listen to this. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is, not, is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. Do you feel that struggle? The things that I know I should do, I don't. And the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. Sin, it distorts our desires. It deceives our mind. It pushes us toward the things that we should hate. Your sin and my sin, it's beyond measure. Think about the pear tree, the delight in sin. We know what is good, and we choose to do the opposite. Have you ever seen that person that you could have helped but didn't? Have you ever looked at your resources and known that you could have used them for the good of someone else, but you withheld them? You know, you could have said a word of kindness. You could have chosen a path of forgiveness, but you didn't. The depth of sin in you and in me. Have you ever chosen to do what you know that is wrong and evil? Hurt someone, wound someone, take advantage of the system? Lift yourself up to push someone down. Choose to criticize them so that you might look better than them. Withhold forgiveness from someone because you feel like it's your right to wound them. We've hated our brothers in our hearts. We've lusted against our sisters. We've chosen bitterness and unforgiveness. Our sin is deep. Our sin runs deep. Your sin runs deep. My sin runs deep. In fact, it runs so deep that the only way it can be atoned for is that God has to die. How deep it runs. The Apostle Paul is wrestling that tension. The power of the law and its condemnation is over me and this curse of sin is within me. And even this morning we, we received news about the bombings in Sri Lanka and, and these churches that were targeted and hundreds, over 100 people were killed this morning. And we think about how evil and how heinous that is, but brothers and sisters, the same wicked, sinful heart that lied inside those perpetrators lives inside of you and me. Our sin runs deep. And it leads to our death. And the death of those around us. It's uh, this picture, this pastor, uh, John Piper, he's talking about this passage and he says, if, if, the, if God is a surgeon and the scalpel that he uses is the law, and you're in the hospital bed and God is designed as the surgeon to take that scalpel and cut the bad things out of your life and to bring you to life and fullness and joy, it's like sin walks in the room, takes the scalpel and slices your throat. This is what sin does to us kills us, it murders us, and we murder everybody around us. And so we are left crying out, Romans 7.24, oh wretched man that I am, sin makes a wretch out of us. 
Who will save me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this body of death? How can I be set free from the curse of sin and the power of the law? Friends, the bad news is you can't set yourself free. But the good news of the gospel, which leads to our last question, is this. How can we be saved from the power of the law, the curse of sin? The answer is our last big idea that we celebrate this Easter morning. God accomplished what the law could not through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. God has accomplished what the law could not, what death could not, what sin could not, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, verse 24. Would you just read it with me and just feel the weight of the Apostle Paul's cry. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Who will save me from this? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ Our Lord, exclamation, praise be to God. He has made a way through Jesus Christ. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What on earth does that mean? Come to behind the message this week. We'll talk about it. Let's keep going. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Those who are in Christ Jesus receive not guilty. Keep going. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is good news, friends. So if you can imagine whatever the most heinous crime that you could possibly imagine, whatever that is, Imagine you committing that crime and you are standing in the courtroom before God, the judge. You are guilty as charged and the wages of your sin is death, it's eternal punishment, it's separation, it's God's wrath on you forever. And in that moment, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes into the courtroom and God the Father looks at God the Son, Jesus Christ, and says, will you take their place? And Jesus looks at you and says, I will gladly take his place. I will gladly take her place. And God the Father looks at you, the gavel hits and says, not guilty. And he looks at his only son and the gavel hits and says, guilty as charged. And this is the good news of Easter weekend and Good Friday is that Jesus bore your sin and my sin on himself on the cross in our place. The perfect Holy One died for your sins and for my sins. The Old Testament talks about the cup of God's wrath. And on the cross, as Jesus hung there, nailed, bleeding, dying, God the Father turned His back on His Son. For the first time in history, the Father and the Son are separated. And this is why Jesus cries in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would not have to be. And God poured his wrath and his fury out on his son. That cup of wrath, he drank all of it until it was gone. And he turned the cup over and said, it is finished. The debt is paid. 
And on the cross, Jesus, the righteous one, fulfilled God's law perfectly, satisfying the power of the law. But not only does he satisfy the power of the law, he also takes the curse of sin on himself and bears your punishment and my punishment in his place. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ. This is how we can be saved. This is how we can have life. Because Jesus paid the debt in your place and my place. Timothy Keller says this, On the cross, God does not set aside his justice or his law, but instead he turns justice on himself. He becomes the punishment for your sin and my sin. But friends, Jesus did not just die for your sins. Jesus rose from the grave. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. I I want to read a quote from a pastor named Joe Rigney. He said this, Jesus came to the city of death. He entered its gates. Doors that no man can open slam shut behind him. But Jesus was no mere man. Unlike those who had come before him, he came to the city willingly, voluntarily. He had laid down his life of his own accord, and he had the power to take it back up again. Jesus had come to the city of death to rip its doors off its hinges. He came to blaze a path of life back to eternal pleasures at the right hand of God, not only for himself, but for his sheep. And on the third day, he ripped the doors off the hinges. And he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death in totality. And now he reigns, sitting at the right hand of God, and he is coming again. And every wrong will be made right, and every tear will be wiped away. This is the good news of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2 In the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him and has forgiven all of your sins by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen. This is what we celebrate on Easter. This is the good news of the gospel. The power of the law and the curse of the sin has no hold over the ones who Jesus has saved. So I come to you this morning, friends. Have you been set free? Have you been set free? Have you been set free from the power of the law? Have you been set free from the curse of the brokenness of sin that is in you? The the depth of sin that is in you? Has that debt been paid for? And this morning, I would just call you, I would urge you, run to the cross. Run to the tomb. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. Place your faith in Him. God God doesn't call us just to keep a set of rules. That's not what it means to follow God. What it means to follow God is to lay down your entire life at His feet. Because He's the one who's worthy. And He's the one who raises us from death to life. 
through Christ Jesus. Friends, if that has not happened for you this morning, I would urge you, I would plead with you, place your faith in the one who died for you. Place your faith in the one whose blood was shed for you. Place your faith in the one who went to death for you and who rose to life. This is the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 2-3, the Apostle Paul says, For I have delivered you of what's first importance that I also receive. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Even Jesus said that the sign of Jonah was going to come. Just like Jonah spent three days in the belly of the well, the Son of Man would spend three days in the deep. But He didn't stay there. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian... You are a Jesus follower. You've been redeemed. Your response this morning is simply to worship. To worship. To worship the King that died and rose again to set you free. To turn from the false saviors, the false lives that captured your heart this week and turn back to the one true Savior who died and was raised again in your place. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we, we thank you for the cross but we also, we thank you for the resurrection. That you've made a way for us to be free from the power of the law and be free from the power and the curse of sin upon us and in us. Lord, I, I just pray for my friends this morning. I pray for anyone this morning who has not turned from their sins and turned to you, that this morning would be that time. That you would save them. And I join with the saints around the world and I join with my saints through whom who say, thank you for saving us. Thank you for dying in our place, but thank you for rising again that we might have life. Today, we worship you because you are worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from our lives from today into forevermore. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to worship. There are going to be men and women outside these doors at the hub. If, if you'd like to know more about following Jesus, if you'd like to respond in repentance, if you'd like to, someone to pray with you, counsel you, we will be there to meet with you. Let's praise our King this morning.